0: Everybody wants to be happy. That's kind of a, a given in our nation where even the Declaration of Independence said that we have the right or, or the pursuit of happiness. So we all want to be happy. We, uh, uh, we're always looking for that. The, uh, nobody, or at least I don't remember everybody telling me, I just want to be sad and go around mourning all the time. Uh, that's just not what we want. We want to be happy. The TV commercials are all geared to that. You know, everything is telling us how we can be happy. Uh, if we use this shampoo or if we drink this uh, brand of coffee uh, or if we take a vacation here, we can be happy. We all want to be happy. But the truth is, we're not, or at least a lot of us aren't. We are a very neurotic society. Uh, I guess that's why the TV commercials are so effective. We're not happy, and we want to be, and so we're always looking for this product that's going to help us be happy. Uh, more value is sold in the United States than aspirin. Now, that is, I just can't hardly imagine that, but that's what the statistics, uh, those that keep track of stuff, that's what they say. Uh, opioid addiction is a major concern in this country. A lot of states, (laughs) and even Texas is talking about it, giving up on the fight against marijuana because it's just so many people are doing it recreationally that it's just more trouble than many of them feel that it's worth. But the tragic era in all of this is that we're looking for happiness in the wrong places. That's the reason why we're not finding it. We're looking for happiness in things or Outer circumstances, not in our inner self, in our inner character. And that's why we're not finding it as a people. Happiness will never be found in self indulgence. Happiness uh, is found in who we are, in the character that we make in ourselves, as opposed to the things that we might uh, put around us. There's a guy named Robert Reed. And by most standards in the United States, he shouldn't be a happy guy. Uh, his hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself or brush his own teeth or comb his own hair. He can't put on his own underwear. Strips of Velcro hold his shirts together. When he talks, it's kind of like a recorder on slow speed, uh, Low and slurred. Yes, cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car or riding a bicycle uh, or even going for a walk. Things that almost all of us kind of take for granted. But it didn't keep him from graduating high school and it didn't keep him from graduating from Abilene Christian University uh, with a degree uh, in Latin. It didn't keep him from Uh, teaching at St. Louis Junior College or in going on five mission trips or eventually making the decision to be a permanent missionary in Portugal. He went to Lisbon in 1972, rented a hotel room, he was single at the time, rented a hotel room and started studying Portuguese. Uh, He found a restaurant there by the hotel where the owner would feed him, because he couldn't feed himself, every day at the end of the, uh, the uh, rush hour. He stationed himself, forgot someone to carry him to a park, stationed himself there and started passing out literature. Within six years, he had converted 60 people to the Lord. One of them was a woman named Rosa who became his wife. When Robert Reed speaks to a group, it's a different atmosphere than when I speak or most any of us speak because someone else or a group of men will have to lift him and set him on the podium unless there's a ramp because he's in a chair. They set the Bible in his lap. He can't hold it in his hand. When he thumbs through the Bible, it's with stiffened fingers that he'll push the pages back and forth. But he didn't ask for sympathy. He didn't look for sympathy. In fact, just the opposite. He will say, I have everything I need for joy. His shirt's held together with Velcro, but his life is held together with joy the joy of the Lord. Jesus talked about the Beatitudes or the happiness-tudes. I don't know if that's a word, but... Makarios is the Greek word. It can be translated happy or fortunate or blessed. I'm told in the Greek the verb is not there and so it's just Happy, the man. So it's an explanation point. Happy, the man who, or the person who. Uh, It's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we began this series last week. We're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks. Jesus, here in the beginning, wants us to understand that our circumstances do not determine whether or not we're happy. That our happiness must not be dependent upon the externals. Ah. It's something that he taught all the time. In fact, uh, the verb there uh, taught is imperfect past, which means he did it all the time. In fact, in the f- couple of verses before that, he was going into all of the cities and all of the synagogues teaching. This is what Jesus taught everywhere. It's what attracted all of these people to him because he had a message that resonated with the poor, that resonated with the hungry, that resonated with those who were in conflict because it was a message of hope, it was a message of peace, a message of happiness. So he taught this. Our God wants us to have happy lives, but within the context of his will, of his truth, not in the context of the world, because the world really doesn't have happiness, doesn't know what happiness is. These verses tell us to have a great sense of peace and satisfaction, or how to have peace and satisfaction in our lives, how, uh, how to have happiness, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. They almost seem contradictory because by the world's thinking, it's counterintuitive. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if there's anything good about being poor Or at least that's the American way that we think. Uh, In fact, I don't know if any of us really believe that. Because we make sure our kids get a good education, go to a good school so they can get a job so they won't be poor. We work really hard ourselves so we won't be poor. We're striving every day so we won't be poor. But blessed are the poor. Of course, Jesus wasn't talking about finances. He was talking about our emotional self, our spirit, or our spiritual self. Uh, He wasn't talking about being depressed. That's something entirely different. He wasn't saying, blessed are you who are depressed with life. But he was saying, blessed are you who are humble. Arrogance will get you in all kinds of trouble. Anytime, any place, if you're arrogant, it's going to cause problems for you. Uh, we all know the legendary, or we, I don't know if any of us ever met, I think he was a little older than that, but Judge Roy Bean out uh, uh, down in the Pecos Valley close to the Rio Grande there. Uh, uh, he was the famous hanging judge. He was doing a murder trial one time, and uh, uh, the defendant got a not guilty verdict. He really was guilty, but, but he had. Uh, convinced the jury that he wasn't once declared innocent, he thought, "Okay, I'll show." Uh, and he arrogantly stood up and said, "Well, you guys are fools. I'm guilty. I killed that guy." To which Joe, uh, Judge Roy Bean said, uh, "I find you in contempt of court for your arrogant out- uh, outburst. Uh, your sentence will be hanging by the neck until you are dead." <laughs> Arrogance will get you in a lot of trouble almost all the time. The kingdom of God is about our relationship with God. It's about you and me being with God. It's about the relationship that we have as faithful servants of Him. And what will go exactly or completely contrary to that is a spirit of arrogance. The church is that people. That have humbly come before God, seeking a relationship with Him. We are that people who have humbly sought to be obedient to our God. Remember the story in Daniel chapter two of uh, of the uh, the the, uh, the emperor there got into trouble because he became arrogant himself. But his first vision was the statue. You know, part gold, part silver, part bronze, and the feet of clay. And then a stone comes down from the mountain and destroys the statue. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom, we sometimes say the kingdom was established by Jesus and his apostles. Been on the earth since then. That description is of the beginning of the kingdom of Christ. That would be worldwide, not a kingdom confined in Israel, only of those that were born of descendants of Abraham, but any people anywhere who will humbly come before God. In Jesus, we are taken from the domain of Satan and we are moved into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Elijah, chapter 1, verse 13, 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the, his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And at the end, the kingdom of God, this is who the poor in spirit, uh, we have this. In the end, Jesus will take his kingdom and he will take Those of us who are in the kingdom, he'll take us to be in heaven forever with our God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, or he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Sometimes we might feel like, well, that's something to boast about. (laughs) And maybe we do. But... Our boasting must always be about the Lord who has saved us, not anything that we have done because we are without merit here. That's why humility is so important for us to understand. We have nothing to boast about before God. And we will not see the kingdom of God Unless we are humble, poor in spirit. And if we are not able to be humble before God, then we may see the kingdom in others, but we won't see the kingdom in ourselves. We will not see the kingdom unless we are ready to admit our failure and our need. Our need for the grace of God. You see, not even the best of us can stand before God justified. We cannot live well enough. We cannot earn enough credit before God because we are always sinning. We're always falling short of the glory of God. Personal pride before God is useless, even harmful. You remember the parable Jesus gave to his disciples? A parable about uh, uh, the publican and the Pharisee. That's found in Luke chapter 18, beginning verse 9. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get, uh, of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted." Without humility, we will not see the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is blessed because they are the people who humbly seek a relationship with God. And they're the ones that God will accept. Jesus talked about humility many times, all the time. Uh, it's not just so that we can get into the kingdom, but he wants humility in our lives all the time. He wants this to be a fundamental part of our personality, our character. It's important all the time. He would say that, uh, well, he called a child to his midst once, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become Like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility, childlike presence. On another occasion, he talked about who would be greatest in the kingdom. The disciples were arguing. Who, uh, will it be me? Will it be him? Who's going to be the top dog? Matthew 23. The greatest among you shall be your servant whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God wants those, he wants us to be humble before him. Humble before him and humble before each other. Well, so what, how is it that I can be humble? Well, what does that mean? Sometimes you know, there'll be, interviewing a sports guy after a ball game that's been declared the uh, the winner or the, the, the one most valuable player and he says, I'm humbled by this and I'm thinking, do we really understand what the word means? <laughs> and I think he, that type of statement is generally made by someone who's not wanting to appear arrogant. First, A humble person has a broken and contrite heart. Before God, we are ready to admit we have been wrong. We have done wrong. We recognize that we are sinners and that without the Lord, we are spiritually bankrupt. The world may say, well, you know, Gerald's a pretty good guy. He hadn't beaten his wife lately and he... he, he, he. But pretty good by the world's standards is not good enough. We're not really measuring ourselves by the world's standard. We're measuring ourselves by God's standard. God's rule, not ours. And really, we will always fail without God's grace and God's power. So I can't be good enough to save myself. Salvation is by God's grace, by His mercy, and it's for those who will humbly come to Him seeking that. Now, the publican would not so, maybe this is where we get the idea that we bow our heads from the publican here who would not so much as lift his eyes before heaven. I said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The poor in spirit admit their brokenness and their need. And then the poor in spirit is absent pride, but is indeed humble before God. Uh, that means the poor in spirit recognizes his dependence. He's not proclaiming his independence, but admitting that he is dependent on God and in this world on others. A lot of times, the arrogant, well, in fact, all the time, the arrogant, you can't teach them anything, (laughs) they're not going to learn, they're not, you cannot correct them. Because they believe, anyhow, that they know everything. And so you can't correct them. You can't guide them. But you see, the humble can be corrected, he can be guided. Because he understands he is dependent upon others. He understands that he doesn't know everything that others might know. Much more than he. And so the humble comes in and he takes the second seat or maybe even the last seat. Doesn't automatically think that he deserves the first seat. Pride wants to compare itself with the others uh, that are on his list that he knows he can uh, do better (laughs) than they can. Rather than compare himself to God. God. Humility sees itself within the will of God and recognizes then the need for improvement, the importance of improvement, sees the image of Christ and seeks to be like Jesus. And thirdly, the poor in spirit are dependent upon God. The spiritually poor have recognized that they rely on God. They need the comforter to be in their lives to help them in their struggle against Satan. uh, it, It doesn't matter how much we may possess in this world. We are still dependent upon God. It doesn't matter how much I have in my barns. I'm still dependent upon God. A lot of people think they can get along just fine without God. But we can't. Not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually. Certainly not in view of our eternal salvation. We are always dependent upon God. When Moses led Israel out of Egypt... After the plagues there, God had told them to take the gold and silver from Egypt, and so they plundered Egypt. They asked for it. They didn't have to, to, to do anything. They just asked their neighbors, hey, give us your gold and silver, and they gave it to them and said, please leave. Go. Well, please go. Get. Well, what happened immediately? They could have left thinking, well, here we have plundered Egypt. We have the riches of Egypt. But then they got backed up between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. We need you, God. We can't do this by ourselves. And they were in the middle of the wilderness. And they had all that gold and silver, but they didn't have food or water. We need you, God. I think maybe the wilderness wanderings were given to them more to teach them again and again. You are Always dependent upon God. You will never be independent. We need to learn to depend on God. And the poor in spirit have learned to depend on God. And that's why they have the kingdom of God. God will lift up the humble. The humble are blessed because God lifts them up. That's how the kingdom of heaven is ours. Because God has lifted us up. They are blessed in the kingdom with the forgiveness of God. They are blessed because God has taken them by the hand and stood them up. They are blessed because in humility they are like the Lord Jesus himself. Remember the Lord's brother James repeated what Jesus said several times. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Yeah, i figured this out by now. A humble heart is important to God. Unless a person is poor in spirit, he cannot have a right relationship with, with the Lord. In fact, He will never feel the need for Christ. You've got to have that humble heart before that poor in spirit before you need Jesus. Or at least before you believe that you need Jesus. Without Christ all too often, and maybe this is part of the reason why opium is such a curse for us today, or why they sell more valium than aspirin, without Christ, our spirit will be void and empty. Self-sufficiency, feeling that I don't need anybody at any time, is one of the more dangerous maladies that affects the human heart. It breeds loneliness, it breeds contempt, it breeds, well, arrogance. Scripture says pride goes before the fall. So if I don't have that humble heart, it will not be long till I will fall. And great will be that fall. Humility again and again is recognized by God as important, necessary, if we will have a relationship with the King of Kings. And so the question for us is, are we humbled before God? Have we humbled ourselves before God? Have you, or do you find yourself arguing with God? God, did you really mean that? I don't want to do that. Am I supposed to be that person? If I'm, am I supposed to help there? Am I? And our world argues with God all the time. We argue about morality, we argue about obligations, we argue about anything. Obedience, uh, like a kid arguing with her dad. Dad, kid, and we just argue with God. I don't want to do that. Let me do something else. Jesus humbled himself before God. He took human form and died on the cross in obedience, even to, obedience to the point of death. And so let me urge you, be poor in spirit. Don't argue with God. God calls for repentance. He calls for believers to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. But you know, a lot of people will argue with that. Oh, I don't need if I do I have to do that? <laughs> God you know the hearts of all mankind can't you just look at my heart and know that I love you don't argue with God Jesus would tell Nicodemus in John 3 verse 3 truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God got to be born again don't argue with Jesus Our Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus is sending the disciples out to the world to tell them about the gospel, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't argue with God. The arrogant one will. But the one who is poor in spirit and recognizes, hey, I need to do what God's told me. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. People still want to argue with God. That's ah, not necessary. Are Paul talking about his own conversion? Acts 22, verse 16, he's quoting now Ananias, who was teaching him about Jesus. And Ananias said, and now why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But still, so many people will arrogantly argue with God. And that's the reason why it is so hard for the one that's not humble to see the kingdom of heaven. Because the humble will obey God. Don't argue with the Lord. Just obey the Lord. That's what the poor in spirit would say. And do not live a life that cannot be corrected by the word. That refuses correction from the Lord. So many of us don't like anybody telling us what to do. But the poor in spirit will accept the Lord's teaching and will do what the Spirit says. Will do what the Lord says. Let your life be conformed to God. Conformed to His will. Renewed to conform to His will. Let your life, or live your life, by the word of the Lord. Let's be standing as we do every Sunday, we have a time uh, of, for response. Some of us will be here at the front while we're singing. And if you would like to respond, uh, we encourage you to come and talk to us. You can be baptized. We can pray for you if that's your need. Some others will be in the foyer in the back. If you would like a, perhaps a little more private uh, area for prayer, they'll pray with you there. Whatever we can do to, to, to encourage you, we want to do that this morning while we praise God in song.